Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is September the 27th, and this is the second podcast on Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be looking at verses 28 and 29, which are some of the most quoted of all the passages in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is quoted by everyone, it seems, everywhere. And one of those passages that we hear over and over again, quoted and misquoted, understood and misunderstood, is Romans 8, 28, 29, and verse 30. So let's look at those. And then beginning tomorrow on the 28th, I'm going to deal for two podcasts with Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, because for two days, we're going to look at those two chapters, which deal with the relationship between Israel and the church, which is so critical for us understanding all of the New Testament, because one of those mysterions that the Apostle Paul introduced to the church of Jesus is this idea of the relationship between Israel and the church. It is, I believe, one of the most misunderstood and one of the most dangerous of all of the teachings that can do harm to the body of Christ and the relationship between the church of Jesus and the Jewish people, God's chosen people in the past, now, and in the future. Remember, the Jewish people, according to the Word of God, were before the church ever started, and after the church age ends, God will once again use the Jewish people during the days of the Great Tribulation And during the millennium, it is going to be the restoration of the kingdom of Israel and the Davidic throne, and Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. Now, I know many people don't believe that, but that does not matter one whit to me, because whether people believe something or not is not the determiner as to whether the Bible teaches it. What we need to do is follow the teachings of the Word of God. And it's not just a matter of interpretation entirely, because uh, I can tell you whatever your hermeneutic, your method of discovering truth is, if you tell me what it is, just a couple of questions I ask, and I can tell you where you're going to end up in your eschatology. Because if historical narrative is interpreted as historical narrative, you will believe, for the most part, like I do. If you believe that historical narrative can be made into allegory, and that you can determine what's allegory and what's narrative based upon the rest of your paradigm of theology and interpretation, then you and I are going to be miles apart on the doctrine of last things, what the Bible says about the end of days. And so uh, 
what I want to do is talk to you about that, but I want to talk to you in a specific time period and passages of Scripture related to an entire section dealing with this in what we call Romans 9, 10, 11. So while we have slated that chapter 9 is on the 27th, the 28th is Romans 10, and then on the 29th, Romans 11, what I'm going to do is finish up Romans 8 today, which is the 27th, 28th, and then I'm going to start dealing with 9, 10, 11 tomorrow and the next day. And so right now, let's get right into Romans 8 and 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Let me just, if I could, read the entire passage, and then I'll come back and I'll break it down section by section, word by word, phrase by phrase. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now let's go back to the beginning. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to purpose. Yes, it is his purpose, but his is in italics. That means it's put in there to help it make sense and to tie it with God. Let me translate it for you in a way that will help you to understand what the verse is saying. That is verse 28. And we know that all things, not so. No, all things don't just happen to work together. If you're wanting the sense of this passage, it should be translated, and we know that God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, in order to claim the reality that God is in control and that whatever comes into our lives, good, bad, ugly, God can take those things. God can take those things. It's not that everything just works out on its own. God makes it happen. God works all things together for those who love God. Now, for those who are living their own life, living dominated by the flesh, doing what they want to do, you can just say, well, I think everything has a purpose. Well, you can think that all you want to. The Bible says God works everything to good to those who love him, to those who love him. So the question is, do you love Jesus? Is it obvious that you love Jesus? Is Jesus your life? Is Jesus the one you live for? Is Jesus the one you are willing to die for? And Jesus is who you are all about. You say, well, no, not really. Well, then don't claim this promise. This is for those who love God and also those who are called according to purpose. You see, God has a purpose for your life and mine. And we will never know that purpose apart from knowing Jesus and loving him. He is the key to knowing why God puts you on this earth. You think God's going to show you his will and you're not even willing to submit to his only son, his only begotten son, his one of a kind son. That's not the way it works. You see, if you're going to come into the family of God and call God your father, you have to come through the son. 
And so the scripture says that he has a purpose for your life. And then he goes on to tell us that purpose. The purpose is found in the next two verses. That is, his purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. God so loved the world that he gave his one-of-a-kind son, that whoever trusts in him would never perish, their life would never be wasted or ruined, but they would gain eternal life. But for those that are his, God so loved his son that he's going to make eternity to be populated with people just like him. You see, God's working everything in your life, good, bad, and ugly, to conform you, to mold you, to break you, to melt you, to pour you into the form of thinking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, acting like Jesus, living like Jesus. That's the goal of the Christian life. What is a mature Christian life? Is that somebody who's out winning souls all the time? No, that's not how you gauge whether somebody's a mature Christian. Now, we should be witnessing all the time and anytime and wherever we can, that's part of it. Just bearing witness of Jesus. That's not some special thing. That's just being what God called us to be. And he wants us to do that. And we should be doing that. But that's not all it means to be like Jesus. I know people who claim to be soul winners and they're rude and they're mean, they're ugly and obnoxious. And nobody wants to be around them. That's not like Jesus. Now, God may use you, but God can use a donkey. God may use you, but all you are is a voice. So please understand that the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. Maturity has to do with being like Jesus, acting like him, thinking like him, loving like him, being like him, forgiving like him, not being better like he was not bitter, forgiving those who who hurt. This is being like Jesus. And so he said the whole purpose of him working everything to our good is to conform us. And the word conform is to sum morphe, to bring us together in the same likeness of Jesus. And the Bible says, for whom he foreknew, that is, the word is prognosco. That means he has this relationship, this knowledge of you and who is going to come to his son and who's not. That doesn't mean that he's going to force you to do it. That doesn't mean you don't have a say in it. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, God knows it. But with everything that God knows and ordains, he also provides the means whereby whatever he ordains will come about. This is very important. In other words, God's ordained that what happens, happens in relationship to confession, to prayer, to repentance. Without that, it doesn't happen. You say, well, I thought it was determined to happen. It is, and God knows who's going to repent, who's going to change, who's going to turn. God knows all of that. And so those that he prognosco, he knows. The Bible says those that are in that relationship with him, he has predestined. Now, the word is pro-horizo, pro-horizo. Pro, again, means before. Horizo is where we get our word horizon. You just change the O and put an N on it. Horizo, horizon, horizon. What is a horizon? Well, it is an imaginary line out there when you're flying a plane, for instance. When I was in Texas and I was learning how to fly by the seat of my pants, I would go up with my instructor, and it was visual flight rules, not instrumentation. And so we balanced the plane as to whether we were level by the horizon. And what is the horizon? That's the marked out place where the sky seems to touch the land. 
That's called the horizon. And you line your wings up to where it's level with the horizon and you're flying level. Now, this is very important. That is, you're balanced on both sides. You can look to the right, and you're in line with the horizon. You look to the left, you're in line with that mark out there where the earth and the sky meet. That is the horizon. That's the boundary. That's the marked out. What he says is, those who belong to him, God predestines them. He marks out their horizon. What is their horizon? Their horizon is to be like Jesus. That's their destiny, to be like Jesus. Now, beloved, right now it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. And one day God is going to conform us to the image of Jesus. You see, he's going to get us there. You say, well, he's got a long way to go. He's capable. Well, you don't understand. You mean he's going to make old uh, brother John over there like him? He's capable. You see, he's already marked out that he's going to be. What's that to God when he brings somebody a little bit farther or a lot farther than what you might think they are? They may be closer than what you think to the image of Jesus. Because, see, God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outward show. And so the goal that God has for every one of us is Jesus is to be like him. And God takes everything and he conforms us. He molds us. He puts us in the template of Jesus. This is why he has to knock off something over here, has to knock off a rough edge over here. Why? Because we don't look like and act like Jesus. And he's going he's to put a bullseye on that part of our lives that's not under the control of Jesus. That's where the sandpaper is going to be. You say, well, you mean God brings uh, people into our lives for the sandpaper effect? Yeah, some of you think you're living with that. I'm just telling you, does God use a husband or a wife to help you to conform to the image of Jesus? Of course he does. You see, God's capable of taking anything and anyone and using them as sandpaper in our lives, sometimes as a sharp instrument to lop off what needs to be lopped off to get us into conformity with the will of God. And so God has marked out our horizon. That's to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He does this because he is able to do it. Now, the one who started a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul told the church at Philippi. And we get there. I can't wait to get to the book of Philippians. It's so wonderful. But he says to the Philippians, he says, the one who started a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't save anyone badly. Everyone gets started with a good work, and God starts a good work. In other words, no one's saved wrongly. Everyone's saved rightly. (laughs) God doesn't save somebody by accident. They are saved. Everybody's saved the same way by trusting Jesus. I'm not talking about that it's the same emotional content that everything's. No, I'm saying all of us have to come the same way, the Jesus way. All of us have to trust God. We have to repent of our sins. But everybody gets saved to start with correctly, right. And what God starts is a good work. And what God starts, he'll finish and he'll complete it under the day of Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that right here. He says, moreover, verse 30, whom he predestined, these that he predestined because he had knowledge of who they are. He also called them. That means he brought them unto himself. He called them by name. No one come unto Jesus unless the father is drawing him. 
You say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it. Well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. What I'm saying to you is just what's in the Scripture. Moreover, those whom he predestined that he marked out to be conformed to the image of his Son, he called them unto himself. And the ones he called are the ones that are justified. The ones that are justified are the ones that are glorified. Notice all of this has an ED on the end. Now, that's the way that this is presented. But what it means is it's completed action. You see... The same ones that God called are the same ones that end up being glorified, and you don't have in this sentence anywhere where it says, except for a few that got out of control, except for a few that were lost by the wayside. No, everyone, everyone that he called, everyone was justified. Everyone's justified was also glorified. God knows what he's doing. God starts with you. He's going to finish with you. He doesn't lose any along the way. That's what the Bible says. Rest in it. There is now no condemnation, no penalty to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those that God has called, God is going to justify. Everyone he justifies, they're going to end up being glorified. Why? Because God is able. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.